As I said, my name's Nigel, and uh, along with Joe and this great team, uh, we lead the church. And uh, I'm just going to share with you for about 15, 20 minutes before we have our baptisms. Today is a baptism service, as you'll have noticed. We're excited that four of our community are choosing to be baptized today. And if you're here as a guest of one of those people, um, or even if you're just visiting today, thank you for coming to share with them and with us. And whatever your background, whatever your belief, whether or not you would choose to call yourself a Christian, wherever you're at on that journey of faith, we just really want you to know that you are welcome here. Okay? You're welcome to here, and we, we hope that you enjoy your time with us, and we hope that you, get, that you get something out of being here, that you find out something more about Jesus, why we believe that he's worth getting to know, what it is to follow Jesus, and even more than that, that somehow you might encounter him in his presence. If you've never been to a baptism service before like this, I'm just going to take a couple of minutes to explain what's going to happen and why. So if you can put my first uh, slide up for me, thank you. Um, the word baptize, the origins of the word, it means to dip repeatedly or to immerse or to submerge. And other words that kind of mean the same thing are drench and dip and deluge. Before it was a custom in the Bible, you'll be interested to know that in the ancient world, the word baptize was first used to describe the process by which onions are pickled. Can you put the next slide on for me, please? Sorry, can you move it forward for me? This isn't working. Thank you. Um, pickled onions. Baptism describes a process which is both total and transformational. Believe me, once an onion is baptized in vinegar, it is never the same again. And in today's case, uh, like the baptisms that we're going to do today, it is also, we see baptism as also something that's total and transformational. You'll be pleased to know there's no vinegar involved today. How, when, when somebody goes down in the water, they go totally under, submerged. And when they come up, we really believe that when someone comes out of the water, they are a different person. Now that sounds a bit spooky, I hear you say. How does that work? Well, the Bible teaches that um, when a person chooses to follow Jesus for themselves, for, their, for themselves, it's a decision that will change them forever. It will fundamentally change their spiritual state. And so when we accept Jesus as Lord, when we choose to become his follower, when we give our yes to him, when we choose to be his friend, then what happens is we're basically dying to ourselves. We're dying to our past. We're dying to sin and evil and and we're becoming alive to Jesus. The Bible uses a phrase, becoming a new creation. And so in the act of baptism, we, what we're doing is we're symbolically identifying with what Jesus did when he died on the cross. His own death and resurrection. So baptism is symbolic of like going down into the water to die with Jesus and then coming back up to come alive with Jesus. We die to ourselves, we are transformed, we are changed, we become Alive to God, a different person, a Christian. The word Christian means of Christ. One who's, who, who, for whom Christ, Jesus, has become part of who we are. And today is a public celebration of that inward transformation. That transformation has been going on in the hearts and lives of the people who have been baptized today over the past little while. And this is an external declaration of something that's already going on. Internally, they'll tell you more about that in due course. Many of us here have been through a similar experience. Some of us 
have been on that journey a long time. Some of us are still on the journey and we're still exploring what it is, trying to figure out what it is to follow Jesus. We know that there's something about it, but we haven't figured it out yet. And as I said, wherever you're at on that journey, you're completely welcome. We in this church are a community of people who, with God's help, are aiming to live out this fundamental truth in a way that has a positive impact on society, bringing hope and life to our communities and to the people that we spend our days with on Monday to Friday, Monday to Saturday, 9 to 5. For example, street pastors that we've just heard about. So that's a bit about baptism. And later on, each of our four um, candidates are going to share a little bit of their own story, and then they're going to make promises, and then they're going to be baptized. And as you know, today's very special. Um, And I don't know if you know this, but three out of the four people getting baptized today are actually young people who've grown up in our community. So we're going to hear from Zach and JJ and Amy. And also Ailsa is here, who is someone who came here last year, but came here to work with young people. She's just started to work as a teacher, as I'm sure she'll tell you. And for the rest of... This talk, I just thought this was a really good moment to take a few minutes to think about what Jesus has to say about young people, what Jesus has to say about children. So we're going to read the Bible together. There are two passages. If you have a Bible, you can look them up, but I've got them on here, so you can just follow through from here if you like. They come from the book of Matthew, which is in the New Testament, Um, and uh, there are two short passages. One's from Matthew chapter 18, and one's from Matthew chapter 19, and I'm reading from the New International Version of the Bible And uh, I'll read this through, and you can follow on the screen. So at that time, it says, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus calls a little child to him, puts the child among them, and says, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And then just one other passage, which is from Matthew chapter 19, the next chapter. The people brought the little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and to pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, no, let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And when he placed his hands on them, he went on from there. When you read the accounts of Jesus' life in the Bible, children only feature on a handful of occasions. They're hardly mentioned, really. On first glance of these chapters, you might think, oh, this is all a bit cute and cuddly. This is all very nice, very comforting, Jesus and the children. Oh, isn't it lovely? And there's some truth in that, but I think there's more. Because when you dig into these passages, you find that there's real wisdom here that that I think is powerful and potentially world-changing. And I want to just explain that and unpack it with three short points about what I think that these passages are telling us about what Jesus thinks about children. And the first one is this, that children teach us humility. You see, the way that Jesus valued children very much stood out against the culture of his day which, if we're honest, was pretty male-dominated and pretty macho. The passage that we read this morning opens with Jesus' disciples coming to him to ask this question. Hey, Jesus, by the way, who uh, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You can only imagine the conversation that went before that, can you? I reckon, I reckon I'm the best around here. 
No, 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 I'm more powerful than you are. No, I'm better than you. No, I'm better than you. I'm stronger than you. Jesus loves me more than he loves you. I'm holier than you. No, no, he's going to make me his number two. Jesus, who's the greatest out of us two? Who's the greatest? I don't know what Jesus was thinking. I can imagine him just... Sounds incredibly immature, and maybe we laugh. But actually, the truth is that probably most of us find it easier to play this kind of game than we're ready to let on. Most of us don't literally go around saying things like, I'm the greatest. One of my children, who shall remain nameless, refers to themselves as a favorite child. (laughs) And has has even... um, I'm not looking at anybody in particular, so you can't tell who I'm talking about. And has even changed his mother's... Oh, their mother's... Their mother's phone, so that instead of their name that comes up, it's his favorite child that comes up. Most of us don't do that. Well, not seriously, anyway. It's a lot more subtle, isn't it, how we compare ourselves to others. And we all do it. You know, maybe it's to do with the wealth or the money we have, what kind of house we live in, the kind of luxuries or possessions that we can afford, the kind of holidays or career path. I used to read the Sunday papers. I used to buy a paper on Sunday, and there's so many sections in it, it would take me all week to read it. And I'd know whether I'd had a busy week or not by how much of the paper I'd got through by the next Sunday. But I just started to notice that something was happening as I read these sections on property and travel and money. I was like, this is a lifestyle that... It's com- for most people, it's completely, you know, off the scale. I, I was finding myself going, ooh, that looks nice, oh, that looks nice. It really wasn't helpful. I didn't really feel like I wanted to. I'm, I'm pretty happy with where, what I've got. I don't really need, feel the need to compare myself. Maybe we compare our faith with others. Maybe we compare how holy we are or how much we read the Bible or pray. I spoke a couple of weeks ago, didn't I, about... Um, how I used to compare myself to one of my housemates who, being a medical student, was incredibly disciplined and used to read the Bible a lot and be very organized and very focused. It's not helpful. Well, it's helpful for him, but it's not helpful for me to compare myself, if you know what I mean. Or maybe these days I wonder if we compare our emotional states with other people and how happy we are. I've noticed uh, you know, that I, if I spend quite a lot of time on the social media, I'll find that I'm probably not as relaxed, fit, mindful, stress-free, or happy as all the other people I can see on Facebook. Is it just me, or do you ever feel like that too? I mean, it can be very easy, can't it, to post positive events and filtered images and give the impression that life is just one series of happy events. We all know that's not really true, but we don't really feel like posting the reality sometimes, do we? I don't know, I don't know why, that, why that happens. It's not, it's not good. And the point about this passage is that Jesus cuts through all of that, all of that comparison, all of that insecurity in one simple action. When he takes a child, stands them up the front, and says, listen, it's like this. Never mind all your insecurities and your comparisons. Let me tell you about what God's perspective is on this. Look at this child. You want to inherit the kingdom of God, this is how you need to be. You see, little children are by nature weak and vulnerable and dependent and innocent and trusting and uncertain. These are all the qualities, Jesus says, that we need to really relate to God. You can't earn your way to God. It's not a case of work hard, keep the rules, try your best, get to heaven. Christianity isn't like that. 
although some people may try and tell you that it is, and if you were led to believe that it was, then I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry that it was misrepresented. There's only one certain way to connect to God, and it's really counterintuitive. It's by admitting that we don't have it all together, that we haven't got it sorted, that we actually are vulnerable and weak and uncertain and trusting and dependent, just like a little child. Children do this very naturally. The rest of us find it a little more tricky sometimes. But acknowledging that we simply can't do this on our own. And that's wonderful news because if you are feeling any of those feelings today or this week, then you are already halfway on the journey towards meeting with God. You see, our world's success criteria don't really mean anything to him. Actually, pretty much everything that's wrong with our world can probably be traced back to some kind of existence pride and some kind of arrogance, which basically distorts and ultimately destroys human life. And Jesus challenges that right directly, challenges the arrogance and the expectations of his culture and ours, simply with the example of this little child who stands here innocent and humble. And Jesus says it's really important to be humble. It's really important to be real, and it's okay not to have it all together. And that's a really good place to start relating to God. So that's my first of three points, that children teach us humility. The next point is that children are very precious to God, and actually so are all of us. It's so typical of Jesus to make a big deal about standing up for the group in society who can't really stand up for themselves. And actually throughout his whole career, Jesus spoke and acted on behalf of many different groups, who were basically excluded from the society that he was in, whether it was women, whether it was lepers, whether it was prostitutes or tax collectors, whether it was the poor or the marginalized or people who were referred to by the religious community as sinners. Children were just another group in this society that had been basically pushed to the edge, marginalized. They had a really raw deal in the ancient world. A really raw deal in the ancient world. Many societies before the time of Jesus and during treated their children appallingly. One commentator, Tom Wright, says this, in the ancient world, children were almost forgotten altogether. They were frequently seen only as half human, at least until they had reached puberty. I don't think I need to go on any further for you to understand what I'm saying. Against this historical backdrop, And even in the society that Jesus grew up in, he's teaching that whatever society says, whatever anyone else might think, God's heart is for everyone, every single person, the marginalized and the weak. However society says, whatever society says about them, God loves and values every single one, every single, the smallest of the smallest children. The heart of the Christian message is unconditional love fundamentally demonstrated on the cross by Jesus. When you work that through, it's really radical. And actually what any society does with and to their children really just reflects how they understand and see God themselves and how they relate with the world and how they relate to themselves. You may have seen this movie or read this book, The Hunger Games. Who's who's seen that movie or read the book? It's a massively popular trilogy of books and movies set in a future society where the countries have been destroyed and replaced by these districts, and all of them are under the control, heavy, heavy, tight control of the capital. And to strengthen its tight control, the capital does this thing every year where it organizes a games where it takes two young people from each district 
that puts them in an arena where they basically have to fight to the death. I mean, it's a horrendous and horrible concept. It's brilliantly told in this story, and it's a fantastic story. But the backdrop to it is just awful. If you haven't read it and you're a bit squeamish, don't go there. It's not for everyone. What's interesting to me, though, is the way it just imagines how low society could go in the way it values itself and therefore treats its children. You know? It's really shocking. And it's a classic trait that we might have seen in our own lives of bullies who exert their own power and aggression and violence over the weaker members of society, probably in reality because it helps them deal with the pain that they know and experience themselves on their own journey. Have you heard this phrase before? Hurt people hurt people. cycle of pain. Always the weakest ones who are suffering the most. In many cases, that's the children. And Jesus knew this, and he knows it. And he can see it, and he turns the whole thing around by putting a child center stage and saying, whoever welcomes this child, or one child like this, in my name, they will welcome me. He says, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And so the truth is, if you have been bullied, or treated in the way that you shouldn't have been, or even suffered abuse, whether as an adult or a child, then first of all, I'm so sorry that happened. And I want to tell you that God has not forgotten about you, that he's reaching out to you, that he's there for you, that he values you and he loves you, and he cares about what happened to you. It's you and your pain that Jesus died for, and that he would love to connect with you and help you with that today. You see, you can see even just from today's talk just how wonderful and incredible we think that Jesus really is. There's so much more to discover about him, not just the things he did on earth as a human, but what he's doing now and how he's engaging with his world through us, his people. That's the story that we find ourselves in. It's, for those of us who are believers, it's one that we signed up for when we chose to follow him. It's a wonderfully exciting and dynamic ride. It's not easy, but it's what we live for. So in summary, I've done two of my three points so far. Children show us how to be humble, and they teach us that everyone is precious to God. And just lastly, from this passage, um, Jesus talks about how we invest in the next generation. You know, he says that verse, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. You see, the disciples, they were, think, you know, they were kind of basically playing to their cultural stereotype. You know, oh, leave, leave Jesus alone. He doesn't need you now. He doesn't need your, the stress of you guys bothering, bothering around him, you know. Just, just, just back off. Leave him alone. And Jesus is really quite, quite harsh with them. He says, no, don't hinder them. Don't stop them. And don't get in their way. Don't get in the way of children as they find their way to Jesus. That's something we can all take to heart. That Jesus really knows that there is such value and importance in investing in the next generation. It's precisely because children are so precious to God, so valued and so treasured in their innocence and their humility, that we as grown-ups, particularly those of us who are parents, but actually all of us as adults in a community, have an incredibly powerful role to play in the lives of young people. Some of the young people who are getting baptized today have invited particular people to help baptize them because of the role that some of those people have just played as mentors and friends and encouragers. 
And our role is to make sure that as children and young people grow, that they have opportunities to connect with God and the freedom to explore and express who they are, to express their faith, to ask questions, to learn and discover and encounter the presence of Jesus for themselves. His instruction to his disciples then and now is let them come. We do our best to facilitate connections with Jesus. We do our best to encourage them in their faith. And we do our utmost best to make sure that nothing that we're doing is hindering that process. And here at this church, Winchester Vineyard, we think this is so important. It's so, it's so crucial. We put a significant amount of our resources, time, our energy, and our money into just doing that. Over half of this building on a Sunday is full of children and young people meeting together and learning what it is to connect with each other and to connect with Jesus. As you know, um, Joe alluded to earlier, we've just launched a major building project to upgrade this building. One of the key reasons is in order to make more and better spaces for our children's and young people's groups. We're looking to make a further investment, a financial investment, in the way that our kids and youth grow in this community. By the way, just as an aside, if you are part of this church and you missed on the talk last week, I really encourage you to check out the website and have a listen to that. Um, There are some boards up at the back and there are some bits of um, information you can take, and I'll be writing to everyone who's part of this church this week just to give you some more information about that. Significant staff time and many, many volunteer hours here go into working with and helping our young people grow in their faith. Not simply learning information by rote, certainly not indoctrinating our little ones, but creating safe and positive environments where young people can come to Jesus for themselves. This isn't a kind of childcare or babysitting service we're running here. It's not just a social or youth club. This is church for this generation. We don't believe that children are the leaders of tomorrow. We believe they're the leaders of today. They're not just in training for 18 years so they can grow up into proper Christians and go out and be proper members of society. They're called, just like the rest of us, to be radical disciples of Jesus Christ, who are prepared to stand up and make a difference in their culture and among their peers. They are scattered servants who carry the Holy Spirit into every situation, every encounter, whether at school or at home, at toddler group, in the park, in the street, in the playground. They are in positions, they like us, are in positions of incredible influence. Many of you already know what a wonderful privilege it is to serve in this kind of ministry. Um, when we were away in the summer, Stephen, who's our kids and youth pastor, did a talk here. I've since heard that, you know, men, and quite a few people say, you know, the stories he told and the, the way that he inspired people, he had a queue of people queuing up to, to join our children's and youth teams. But we still have more available spaces. Sometimes we invite people to consider this. We say, would you like to come and be part of a, one of our children's and youth teams once a month? And they say something like this. Just occasionally, somebody says something like this. Oh, that's really kind of you, but I can't because I'll be missing church. (laughs) And and the truth is, they haven't really got it because that is church. Church isn't just this, and that's childcare. Church is happening all over this building. It's happening over there in Sparklers and upstairs in Blazing Ignite and often happens in youth, although the youth are in with us today. It's an incredible privilege to be part of this exciting ministry. And if you do want to be more involved, you should let us know or speak to Stephen. Joe and I have been part of this. This has been part of our own story. Before we came here to lead this church, we spent about 15 years running the children's ministry in a church in Birmingham. 
We probably saw several hundred children grow up over those 15 years through the church. It was, wasn't always easy, but it was wonderfully rewarding. And it's a real joy now to look on Facebook and connect with some of those people who've grown up now. And when I, was, and I was a teacher as well, and I now connect with people that I used to teach, and now they're teaching. And it's amazing. And earlier this year, I got a message um, on Facebook from somebody who we hadn't seen probably in about 15 years. I'll just finish with this. She said, hey, hey Nigel and Joe, I just watched a video that I found about you guys, and I hadn't seen you for about 16 years, and it made me want to write. And she said, since I was part of the church in Birmingham, I went to America on a gap year to au pair. I studied at university for a psychology degree. Then I got a PGCE, and now I'm married. I live in Oxford, and I teach year two. And then she said, I do think about you both often, and I am thankful for your love and encouragement as I grew up in SBV, that was the name of our old church. It was at this youth event, DTI, that I received the Holy Spirit and started my adult relationship with God. I remember many times that you, Joe, prayed for me and encouraged me. Nigel, I still remember the rap, J-E-S-U-S. I said J-E-S-U-S, she spelt it all out. So it's good to know I told her something. Um, <laughs> I, just wanted to say, I just wanted to say hi and if you're ever down my way, I'd love to catch up. Isn't that lovely? Now, many of you will know this kind of pleasure that just comes from investing in the next generation and seeing them grow. It's a real joy. Some of you do it in the workplace. Some of you are teachers and you work with children and young people. And some of you do it in the church. It's something that we're all called to. It's fruitful kingdom business because Jesus said, let the little children come to me. And so we try and make sure that at the very least... We're not hindering them. We're not getting in the way. And actually, that we're actively investing in the next generation. And so that's the heart of my message today, that children are very special to Jesus, that they show us how to be humble, that they teach us that everyone is special to God, and lastly, that Jesus loves them. He wants to connect with them. And he instructs us to help invest in them and help them connect with him. And in about two or three minutes, I hope, um, our children are going to join us, and uh, we're going to take a short break. Anybody out the back there can, would just like to run up and see if they're on their way. That would be great. Thank you. And in the meantime, why don't we stand together and just pray for a minute? I'd just love us to reflect, reflect on the things that I've just shared and to just respond in a quiet way, and I'd just love to pray. As I'm talking, I'm sensing that the Holy Spirit might just be speaking to a number of us in different ways. So Holy Spirit, we thank you for our children and our young people. Some of them are getting baptized this morning, and that's a wonderful thing. We pray your blessing on them and on this next bit of the service. But Lord, actually, there are many children and young people who are part of our community. And we're so grateful for them. And we pray your blessing on them. And Lord, we thank you that you took a child, you put, her, put this child in the center of this group of grown-ups, and you said, look, you've got to be like this. And learn from this child. God thinks these are very special. And so, Lord, for those of us who need to learn from that, whatever it is you want to say to us today, however it is you want to encourage us today, we thank you for your presence. I thank you that the Holy Spirit is just here now, and you may be experiencing something, you may be, something in you may be resonating. 
Maybe you're a grandparent, also an absolutely essential role to play in the life of a child. Maybe you're a parent and you're struggling. You don't really know if you've got the energy to keep going. and Maybe you just need resources. Maybe you're a teacher. Professionally, you work with kids in another way. Holy Spirit, just come and fill us in Jesus' name. We just reach out to you. We accept all the help that we can get. And we take hold of you and we ask for more of your heart for your children. Thank you for your presence here. Just bless and minister to us. Thank you for our children. Thank you for the next generation. It would inspire us and speak to us. And for those who are called to work with them and to minister to them and be with them, just solidify that. And for the rest of us, may we just pray and bless them. In Jesus' name.